Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, it finally feels like summer, doesn't it? It's like, great to be here on this 4th of July weekend. We're so glad you chose to uh, spend it with us. And uh, we're going to be praying for our nation in a couple minutes, but just celebrating what God has done here, praying for our future. But a couple announcements. We, got, we just got a lot going on this weekend uh, and, this, and in this kind of era. You know, last week we had about 100 people down in Mexico. That trip went fantastic. For those of you who went on that, I know you know that. We're going to show some pictures of that next week. Uh, this week we had the eighth grade road trip. And that heard just great, rate, great response from that. I heard uh, high school had a tremendous time at Hume Lake down in San Diego. So that was awesome. Next week we got VBS going. So this is a very busy, exciting time of the year. But there's also some things uh, I just want to call your attention. To. First of all, uh, next weekend we start, uh, like if you look inside our program, we have a, a growth path of how we grow together here at, at uh, Rocky Peak. And one of the couple of the elements, of, uh, one of the elements is Christianity 101. It's like if you're a new believer or you're just checking out the claims of Jesus and deciding whether you want to follow Christ, we have a five-week class that starts next weekend at this service, 11 o'clock hour. That's just kind of what it means to be a Christ follower, what, what kind of the basic teachings of Jesus, what is it, how do we grow in our relationship. And so that starts next weekend. If you want to jump in, you can sign up uh, still and then jump in that class next weekend. And then I'll let you know that if you're new here, about once a month, another part of our growth path is that once a month, Lynn and I have a dessert at our house on Saturday nights about 7.30 about 20, 25 people, just a casual time getting to know one another, share a little bit about the church, but it's really about hearing your story, hearing our story, and just connecting. We have a great time, and we have one coming up next uh, Saturday night. So if you haven't been and you're new, we'd love to have you be there for that. You can sign up online for that. But uh, today we are continuing. We're going to be starting a brand new series in Proverbs, as you saw. So if you are new here, I want to welcome you. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the church at Rocky Peak. Inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teachings. So you'll definitely want to pull that out if you're new. And then we're going to, uh, I'll jump in. So y'all ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here at our church. And God, as we come to this 4th of July weekend, we just want to celebrate what you've done in our country over the last couple of hundred years. We just thank you for the way you've blessed us as a nation. And God, we pray that you continue to bless us. We, we pray that you would bring us to a place as a country of deep repentance. God, we realize that we are a country that's far from you right now. We're heading in the wrong direction. And we know that there's only one way we can ask for your blessing is if we're truly surrendering our lives to you. We, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our troops that are on the wall, even providing our freedom right now. We pray for the future of our country. We pray for a, a, just a mighty movement of your spirit, uh, a, a return to Jesus Christ as Lord of the universe. We pray a bowing of the knee that would pave the way for a whole new movement in our nation. And we pray this uh, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today uh, we're starting this brand new series that you see uh, on the walls, Choose Wisely. And, and it's a series in the book of Proverbs. Now, how many of you have kind of read the book of Proverbs in your life? Probably most of you have, yeah. Uh, how many of you would say it's one of your favorite books in the Bible? It's, yeah, I, whenever I teach on Proverbs, that's what I find is that it's just one of those books you come back to time and time again, just with timeless wisdom, as we've called this, this series. It's amazing. And it doesn't really matter whether you're a new believer or a longtime believer. Like, there's always something new there for you. And, and so uh, one of the key concepts of the book of 
Proverbs is what I call the path. And the idea is that, is that in life that you have choices, that in life, whether they're big or small, that every day and at certain uh, key points in our life, we come to a fork in the road. You can go right or you can go left. And one of the key concepts of Proverbs is there's a, there's a path to life and there's a path to death. And so the key to life, to experiencing all that God has for us, is to choose wisely. And so, for example, I want you to look at uh, an example of this, uh, this, uh, this path metaphor that's used over and over in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 4. Would you, would you take your Bibles and turn there? This one is not on your notes. If you don't have your Bible, just look on with someone who does, because it's church and they have to share. <clears throat> now when you get to the parking lot, all bets are off. But uh, in church, so chapter 4 and verse uh, 18, um, and you can tell my voice is kind of weary today, and so just think of me as Bruce Springsteen today, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll be fine, and I'll do a little number at the end. Uh, uh, you know, born in the USA. Uh, 418, um, so the path of the righteous. So notice that language, the path, uh, this very common language in Proverbs. The path of the righteous, those who are following God, is like the first gleam of dawn. And so, so maybe you were out early this morning, probably not because you're 11 o'clock service people. But, um, but just kind of imagine in your mind if you were out there early this morning and, and it's just like that first gleam of dawn that comes over the valley. It's just it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, beautiful on a day like today. And he says, and then, and what happens is the path, it's like that first gleam of dawn that just shines brighter and brighter till full light of day. About like three o'clock today, it's going to be 182 here. And, and so he says, the path of the righteous is like that, that not that we don't have problems in our life, but as you, as you walk with God, things just get clearer over time. And he continues to bless and to teach you and you get smarter and, and he kind of leads you in your life. He says, but on the other hand, the way of the wicked, so catch the metaphor, the path and the way. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, like you don't really know where you're going, so they don't know what makes them stumble. And we've probably all been there at times, right? We've all been there in our life where there's times where we're really walking with God, where we're in step with him, and our way is brighter, and it's like every step it gets brighter and clearer, and it's going well. And then there's times where we get off track spiritually, we're not walking with God, and all of a sudden we end up in a mess, and we're like, well, how do we get here? It's like we're kind of stumbling over everything. We're not even sure like how we got here. We've been walking in darkness. And so the message of Proverbs is that uh, there's, there's two paths in life. There's a path to life, there's a path to death. And so it's so important that we choose wisely if we want to experience the, the life that God has for us. And so in the next 11 weeks, uh, this week and then 10 more, we're going to be unpacking the book of Proverbs. We won't cover every chapter, every verse, or whatever, but we're going to kind of do an overview of Proverbs, some of the most important topics. And we're going to be saying, well, what does Proverbs has to teach us about the path to life in some of these really critical areas of life, like our relationship with God, our relationship with others, uh, our money, our sexuality, our careers, and on and on it goes. And so every week you'll be presented with a choice. Well, which path are you on? Are you in the path to life? Are you in the path to death? And, 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 the, and, and are you willing to choose? choose wisely so you can experience life. So here's what we're going to do today. As we jump in today, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. And this really serves as what we call the prologue, the preface to the book. And in this section, what he does is a couple of things. First of all, we find out who wrote the book and to whom it was written and why it was written. 
But then secondly, uh, they're going to lay out for us the most important principle and teaching of all of Proverbs, sort of the key that unlocks the door to the whole book, and also the, the, the gateway through which we walk through the path of life. It's the most important lesson of all Proverbs. And so we're going to go through the first seven chapters, look at that, and, I mean, first seven uh, verses, and look at that, and, uh, and then jump in. So here we go, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, and uh, verse 1. And so you have there on your notes, your section, Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon, a quick intro. So here we go. So it starts off, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. All right? Now, um, uh, the, the book of Proverbs was, was written, for the most part, by a man named Solomon. Solomon was the, the, uh, the third king of Israel. So we, we've got, right, we've got the, the first king is Saul, and then King David, and then who is kind of one of the great king, the greatest king of, of Israel's history, and then comes uh, Solomon. And so what we're told is that Solomon, uh, this third king, he is the one, he's the author of most of Proverbs, all right? So, so not all of Proverbs. As we go through the book, we will see, uh, from time we'll say, the, 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 the sayings collected by King Hezekiah, who actually lived two or 300 years later. So this book actually wasn't fully compiled until later. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to a section that says, the sayings of Augur. <laughs> you know, it's like, what were his parents thinking? But, uh, you know, Augur's got some Proverbs, which is a good thing, because with a name like that, you'll need it. Uh, you've got the, the sayings of King Lemuel in chapter 31. And so it's not all of Solomon, but he's the primary person. Now, what do we know about Solomon? Well, Solomon has an interesting story. Uh, you know, Solomon is the son of King David, and who's his mother? Does anyone remember? Yeah, Bathsheba. And, and Bathsheba was a woman that David had an affair with and then later married. So it's real interesting to me because sometimes we just make the, we make the stupidest choices in our life, right? And, and we, we just we screw up our lives and then God, in his grace, when we turn back to him, he repairs things, right? And it's just, it's so cool to me. Like, uh, David had many sons, but the, the son that God chose for, to replace him, be the next king, was Solomon, the one who came uh, out of this, this marriage that really started off on such rocky road. And for some of you, you know, maybe you have a marriage that started the wrong way. Maybe it wasn't the right thing that should have happened. Maybe you disobeyed, but, but God has been gracious to you and brought you back. And so just know that God is able to repair things, right? That God is able to, to heal. And uh, St. Augustine once said that God works all things together for our good, even our sin. And, and it's not to say there's not consequences, and yet in his grace, God is able to create something new even when we mess up. Amen? Isn't that awesome that he can do that? And so, that, so Solomon is a guy that God chose to be third king, and we're told a, a story. In fact, I was going to start the day with a story like I normally do, but I forgot, so I'll share it now. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the, at the start of his reign, uh, very early in his reign, uh, Solomon uh, was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, he's following a living legend, his father David, greatly adored uh, uh, man. And the stories of his life already legendary. And so the day David comes to him and tells him, you're the one God has chosen. I'm sure when, when he was a little boy growing up with his brothers, they talked about this. I mean, who's going to be the next king? And he's blown away that he gets to be the next king. And so he's very honored, but he's also very intimidated by this. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to be a king and and so to follow a legend. And so 
On this particular day, it's shortly after the start of his reign. We're not sure exactly how long, but fairly early in, uh, he takes a trip outside the capital city of Jerusalem. He goes out to the the town of Gibeon. It's just five miles outside. And there he meets with the the leaders of all the nation. He calls them together, kind of a national conference. And they go before God just to seek God's wisdom and blessing on the future of their nation. And you can see how, how serious Solomon was about this because when he offered his sacrifices before the Lord, he offered a thousand sacrifices. Now think of that just in terms of into monetary uh, value of that. A huge sacrifice is showing that he just wants to honor God. He wants to seek God. God, would you please lead us? Would you guide us? We want to be under your blessing. And so that night, in the middle of the night, uh, God comes to Solomon in a dream. And this is the only time this happens in all of the Bible. He makes him this one-time offer, only time. And, and the offer is, is uh, he says, Solomon, what would you like for me? Ask for anything you want. Kind of a genie in a bottle type thing. And, and so Solomon doesn't ask for what you'd imagine. He doesn't ask for fame. He doesn't ask for uh, a wealth. He doesn't ask for power or the death of his enemies. He doesn't ask for a long life. What he asks for is, God, would you give me wisdom? just to lead this great nation because I, I'm feeling very inadequate. And so God is so blessed by this young man's wisdom to ask for that. He says, not only will I make you the wisest man who's ever lived or ever will live, but, but I will also bless you in all the ways you didn't ask for. I will give you the fame, the honor, the riches, the power, the glory, and so on. And so Solomon then leads Israel into the golden age of Israel. We call the time of David and Solomon the golden age that everyone looks back to, the prophets look back to as kind of the ideal time of the nation. And so you get a feel for this in 1 Kings chapter 4. And there in your note sheet, uh, on your second page, if you haven't turned there, but in, in, your second, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 4, we have this account. It says, uh, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East. Now, he's not talking about New Jersey here. He's talking about, speaking of Bruce Springsteen, but he's, he's, he's talking about the East as in what we would call Mesopotamia, you know, what later become like Babylon or, or uh, you know, today's Iraq or, you know, that kind of thing. So, so let, me, let me just do a little quick uh, sidebar here. In the ancient world, uh, you would have certain key leaders um, that, that would kind of lead in every nation. You'd always have a king. You'd always, king. You'd always have priests of whatever religion they had. Um, but one of the, the important roles that most nations would have is with this category we call wise men. And, and these were people uh, that were just gifted in, in understanding how life works. And so they, they would kind of put together wisdom literature to teach their nation, here's how to live life. And so Egypt would have their wise men, Babylon would have their wise men, and so on. They're often called by different names. But, but uh, in the nation, uh, the, these wise men then, they would write what we call wisdom literature. So Egypt would have his wisdom literature and Babylon have his wisdom literature. Well, Israel had their wisdom literature and some of the wisdom literature is included in the Bible, like the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Job, uh, the book of Song of Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes, some of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are wisdom Psalms. And so what these things all have in common is wisdom literature is very practical. It's designed to teach you how to do life the right way, how, how to understand how life works. And so what he's saying here 
Solomon's wisdom was greater than the, the wisdom of the men of the east. These famous uh, kind of wise men of the east would be like Babylon and so on. And he's greater than all the wisdom of the south, like Egypt. And his fame spread to the surrounding nations, and he spoke 3,000 proverbs. Now, in our book of Proverbs, if I remember right, there's only about 800, and so we've got a lot more. Uh, he, he wrote a lot more Proverbs than we actually have. These are apparently the best of the best and the ones God wanted included in his word. And so, and he said that he's also a songwriter, and his songs numbered 1,005. Now, we only have one song of Solomon, or at least associated with him, which is called you know, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. And it's a really long song, a song if you've ever read it. So I don't know how it did with airtime uh, in its day. It might be why we only have one. But uh, anyway, he goes on, he says, a men of all, all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by the kings of the world who had, not, who had heard of his wisdom. And so from all of he's got an international reputation as being like this amazing wise person. And so people from all over are coming just to hear him. It's a day you don't have internet, you don't have NBC, you don't have, you can't just kind of get his book. You need to go and actually hear it in person. And so, so that is the author uh, for the most part of Proverbs. So if you look at Proverbs chapter one, then we go back to it. We have the Proverbs of Solomon, <clears throat> son of David, king of Israel. And, and now he's going to tell us why. We're talking who the author is. Why did he write these Proverbs? He says it's for attaining wisdom and discipline. The word discipline is the Hebrew word musar. And it, and it can be translated discipline or instruction. Because so many times instruction in life comes through discipline. And so the idea is why did he write this? He said the reason I wrote this is to help you to get smart about life. It's for acquiring of wisdom. The book of Proverbs is to teach you the path to life. It's, it's to teach you how to be successful in all these different areas of your life. And so he goes on, he says it's for understanding words of insight. It's for acquiring a disciplined and a prudent life. And so we don't use the word prudent a lot, but being prudent just has, the, has to do with making wise decisions. And so he says, this is the reason I wrote it, to help you make wise decisions, choose wisely, and for doing what's right and what's just and what's fair. And so in Proverbs, when you talk about wisdom, you're not just talking about being smart. You're talking about uh, character qualities, the ability to know how to do relationships well so that you do what's right and just and fair. You treat people the right way. Okay, so that's why he wrote it. And now he's talking about, he's going to talk about who he wrote it for. And he says, well, it's first of all, it's for giving prudence to the simple. Now, in Proverbs, we're going to meet with several different kinds of characters. We're going to meet with lazy people. He calls them sluggards. Uh, we're going to meet with uh, uh, the worst of the worst. We call them mockers. Uh, we're going to meet with the wise people. And we're gonna meet, but one of the categories of people that we're going to meet over and over are called the simple. And the simple person is not a bad person. The simple person is just a very immature person. They are a very naive person. They're a very inexperienced person. They don't understand how life works. They're simple. Um, so he said, I wrote it for the to give prudence to the simple, but also knowledge and discretion to the young. And so one of the reasons Proverbs is written is to help young people as they grow up get smart about life. So you don't have to grow up and make stupid decisions on your own and learn through experience. You learn from other people's experience. But it's not just for the uh, immature. It's not just for the young. Proverbs is for everyone. And so if you can imagine a spectrum here, on one side is the simple, okay? On the other side is the wise. 
Now, you have to decide where you fit on that spectrum. Okay, so we all fit somewhere on the spectrum. And what he says is that the reason he wrote Proverbs was not just for the simple or the inexperienced, but he wrote it for the wise. And you've probably experienced this. Some of you have walked with Jesus for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And, and you've experienced this. So you were one time very young and very inexperienced, very simple. And you used to read the book of Proverbs, and it gave you great insight into life. And now it's 60, 70 years later, and you're still reading the book of Proverbs, and it's still speaking powerfully, even though you've changed so much in the process. There's something for everyone. And so he goes on and he says, let the, verse five, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. And then in verse six, he says, it's for understanding Proverbs and parables and the sayings and riddles of the wise. So the book of Proverbs is, uses symbolic language. It uses metaphors, analogies, similes. It uses illustrations. Uh, this is how the wise men of the day would teach. These wise men of the different countries, they would often teach in these symbolic ways, like Jesus would teach in parables, right? And the, the reason was, was because often, uh, if you just tell someone uh, the truth about something, it just kind of goes in here, one out the other. But if you make them think about it, you make them kind of grapple with it, with imagery, uh, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. What does that really mean? The sower goes out to sow his seed. What does he really mean? As you struggle with that and you try to understand it, all of a sudden you come to that aha moment. Like, oh, I get what he's saying. And at that point now, it really tends to lodge in your heart and mind. You remember it. And so the wisdom teachers would, would use, often use very symbolic language. So, so later, we'll see in chapter one, uh, where uh, Lady Wisdom, who's one of the great teachers in this book, Lady Wisdom, she's out in the marketplace and on the street quarters calling out to anyone who will listen to share her wisdom. And you have to think about that. What does that mean, Lady Wisdom? And we'll talk about that. Uh, you'll, you'll come across Proverbs and say, reckless words pierce like a sword. And you have to think about that. And, and in the thinking of it, you learn something powerful. You'll come across Proverbs like, uh, it's better to live in the attic or a desert than a nagging, with a nagging wife. And there, you don't have to think about that one. You just like, you, you kind of get that one. Okay, men, let's move on. Uh, I just lost all the women. All right. So anyway, so, so he says, that's why I wrote this book, to help you understand symbolic language, the teaching of the wise, how to interpret a proverb, how to interpret a parable, how to interpret a saying of the wise or, or a riddle, okay? And then he goes on, and now we come to the most important verse in the whole book of Proverbs. Did you just hear me? I do not want you to miss this. In this prologue, this preface, he's gonna end this preface by telling you the key to the path of life. He's gonna tell us that here is the door to life. Here is the gate that leads to wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, you have to go through this gate. There is no other way. This is the foundation of success in life. This is the key to your victory. This is the, the uh what's gonna determine your destiny. And what he calls it is the fear of the Lord. And he says in verse seven, the fear of the Lord, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but let me say this. Whenever you see in your Bible the word Lord in all capitals, that is, in the Hebrew, it doesn't really say Lord. In the Hebrew, it says Yahweh. 
okay? It's the personal name of God. Remember in, back in Exodus 3, where God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses says, well, what, who shall I said sent me to, down to Egypt? What is your name? And he says, I am who I am. Uh, and, and that in Hebrew is translated Yahweh. And so in the Old Testament, whenever you see, and I want to point this out because we're going to be in the Old Testament between now and December. Uh, not in this series, but this series and the next series. And, and, and so whenever, I want you to catch this because we really miss something when we translate it Lord because it becomes a title. And in the Hebrew, it's not a title. It's his personal name of God revealing himself. And so like when you read commentaries, they'll often just throw in Yahweh. They'll throw in the word I am whenever the word Yahweh comes up. Uh, You remember Jesus, this is why it's so profound in the New Testament where Jesus, they say, well, who are you? And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. It's why he he was saying, I am Yahweh. You know, this is important stuff. And so when it says the fear of the Lord here, it's the fear of Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. And we'll talk more today. What does it mean to fear the Lord? But, but this beginning of knowledge, you know, in, in Proverbs chapter 9, he'll make the same statement, but he'll alter it a little bit. And in Proverbs 9, he'll say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so in Proverbs, wisdom and knowledge often used interchangeably. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice the fear of the Lord is the first step. The fear of the Lord is the ABCs. The fear of the Lord is the gateway on the path to life. The fear of the Lord is the doorway into wisdom. If you, if you try to be a wise person and you don't go through the fear of the Lord, you will not get there. It is the foundation of all success in life. He says, but on the other hand, fools despise wisdom and discipline or instruction that He's, he's painting for us right here at the beginning of Proverbs. There's only two ways. There's a path to life. There's a path to death. There's a path of the wise. There's a path of the fool. The path of the wise is they understand who God is and have surrendered their life to his leadership, the fear of the Lord. The path of the fool is that they don't think they need God. They're living God as if life didn't, it doesn't exist. And when God says, here's how to live life, they ignore that instruction. They live on their own. And he says, that's the most important thing you need to know, that your relationship with God is the key to wisdom. And, be, and outside of that, there is no wisdom. All right? So like Jesus said, what is it, what is what, what is it uh, profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? If our relationship with God is not right, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how much you own or how successful in your business or whatever the thing is. If you are not right with God, nothing else matters. You see? And so, so that's where we're going to begin. Now, this is such an important phrase, but it's a phrase we don't use a lot in our culture today. We don't talk in Christian circles or whatever. Even the New Testament doesn't use it very much. The fear of the Lord. And so if we read that and we're not sure, well, what does that really even mean? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack this, uh, what this fear of the Lord means. All right, so there in your note sheet, you have a section That's called the fear of the Lord. What's it mean? And what I want to do is to kind of walk you through, make a couple statements to understand what the Old Testament means when it uses this powerful phrase. Now, the first phrase, uh, the first principle I'm going to give you is sort of has some of that duh factor, right? You're like, I came to church for this. Like, I could have been gone this weekend, but I postponed my vacation, so I wouldn't miss the start of this series. And this is what you're giving me. But trust me, uh, it's worth the price of admission, uh, depending on how much you put in the offering. But anyway, uh, here we go. Um, to fear the Lord, here we go. To fear the Lord means 
to fear the Lord. You're like, really? Yeah, yeah. This is where we need to start. To fear the Lord, there is a genuine sense. To fear the Lord means to be afraid of God. Okay? Now, now we're going to define that. We're going to explain that. I want you to catch this. This is not the most important part of what it means to fear the Lord. It's only a small part. And I'm not saying at all we're to live our life always afraid of him. That's not at all. By the time we get done, I think it's all going to make sense. But what I'm saying is that one of the marks of a wise person is that they have learned the lesson that there is one person in life you don't want to mess with, and it is God, right? Like, and if you have not learned this lesson, then you would go in the category of non-wise, right? <laughs> Proverbs call a fool. Like, like, if you think you can mess with God and play fast and loose with God, then you haven't learned the first thing about life, right? And so, um, now, the reason I say this is you might say, well, why do you even need to say that? And because, I don't know about you, but I've often heard this taught in, in settings where to fear the Lord doesn't really mean to be afraid of God. We're not supposed to be afraid of God. Uh, that, that it only means to like respect or honor God. Have, have you ever heard that? The fear of the Lord is just to honor God. It's to respect him. It's very common teaching. And I totally get why people teach that. And we'll circle around. There's a lot of truth to it. But what I want to say is that, that no, no, to fear the Lord, that an important element is truly being afraid of not messing with God. Uh, that he is amazing that he is the creator of the cosmos and he holds your next breath in his hand. And if you are not afraid of a being that knows everything about you, that controls the whole cosmos and holds your next breath in his hand and is perfectly pure and brilliant and almighty and you're not, and, and if, you don't, if that doesn't cause you a little bit of trembling, you're just out of touch with reality, right? Like, is it, and so let me walk you through. Just, I want to walk you through three examples from the Bible, a couple Old Testament, one new, just to understand this. In the Bible, when people encounter God, they usually go face down and are scared to death. Right? This is how it usually works. So, for example, we talked about Moses earlier. You know, Moses, uh, um, Moses meets God when he's 80 years old out at the burning bush. Now, remember, he's out there, he's just watching his sheep, and all of a sudden, the bush goes on fire. Now, uh, he'd seen this before. Sometimes you have lightning uh, in, the, in the desert, and it catches something on fire. I remember one time when our girls were young, they're probably like, you know, like eight, nine, six, whatever, and, and we're, we're driving through southern Utah, and it's the middle of nowhere, just sagebrush, nothing in sight, except in the distance, this one little, like, single room, white church, you know, just, and I'm just messing with them because that's what I do. It's part of my job description as a father. And so I say to them, wow, look at that little church. Wouldn't that be weird if God called us to pastor that sometime? And so they're like, oh, that would be awful. They're just kind of, you know, they're going off. And at that very moment, lightning from heaven falls and burns this bush up, like right there in the distance as we're watching. And this is no lie. I know some of you are visitors, you're wondering, does he always make up stories like this? <laughs> but this is a true story. And so we're like, we're watching like, whoa, did you just see that? My kids are freaking out. Dad, let's get going. You know, you might call us here. You know, it's a burning bush. And so... I'm sure Moses had seen burning bushes, but this one's weird because it's burning. It's not burning up. And so, now, of course, he's not seen the movie, remember? He's, you know, <laughs> kind of prince of Egypt, not seen that. And so he, 
He doesn't know what's about to happen, so he just kind of goes out to check it out, and all of a sudden, the voice starts from the bush, you know, and now he's getting really freaked out, and so here's what the, the bush says to him. In verse, uh, Exodus chapter 3, he says, don't come any closer, and I'm sure he's like, don't worry, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, take off your sandals, right? Holy shoes. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground, right? So wherever God manifests his presence becomes holy. And he says, uh, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and the God of Jacob. Remember, those guys had lived about four to 600 years earlier. And so what he's really saying is, I'm the God who keeps my promises. And, and he says that this Moses, uh, how did he respond to this? Moses, what did he, what did he do? He hides his face. Why? Because this was a, the common belief uh, in, in the Old Testament. You see it all the time. To see God, you're going to die. And so he hides his face because he was afraid to look at, at God. And so you see this throughout the Bible, that when people have an experience with God, it's not typically, hey, dude, how are you doing? You know? It's usually more like face down, scared to death. It's so fearsome. Uh, and so, a second example, the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, Isaiah has his first encounter with God. And, and this is where God calls him to be a prophet. And it's just amazing. He has this vision that encompasses him. And in this vision, he's taken to like this, this temple. And, and there's this huge throne there. And God is on the throne, probably Jesus in his pre-incarnate form, according to the New Testament. And so he's, he's, he's there, and, and the, the whole place is filled with smoke, and the whole, it's like an earthquake. It's like the whole place is shaking. And the reason it's shaking is because these, these, uh, these four beings, they're called fiery ones. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's, they're called seraphs. And when in Hebrew, to make something plural, you add im to it. So we call them seraphim, right, plural. And so these four seraphs are there, and they're just these fiery creatures is how he describes them. And they've got six wings, uh, two they're covering their body out of modesty, humility, two they're covering their face so they don't look at the face of God who they're worshiping, and two they're hovering there around the throne. And so he sees this, and as, as he's watching, these four seraphs are calling to one another with voices so loud that every time they speak, it's shaking the whole building. And as they speak, they're calling out to one another in Hebrew, Kadosh, 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 Yahweh. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, which in Hebrew means the, the Lord of armies, the armies of heaven. Okay, so, so they're calling to one another in this fearsome, and every time they speak, the whole place is shaking and smoke is going up. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, Isaiah, he is seeing, he's in the presence of God, and he's just overwhelmed with who God is in his power, in his majesty, in his beauty, in his brilliance, but also in his purity. And, and he becomes aware of his fallenness as a fallen human being. And even though he's going to be a prophet, and is probably one of the most godly men in Israel, that, that here he is, that he is aware of his filthiness in the presence of this 
pure perfection, something like you and I have never experienced in this way, holy, holy, holy. And what's his response? His response is, I'm a goner. I am going to die. And so there in your note sheet from the New Living Translation, they were calling to each other, these fiery seraphs, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Yahweh Almighty. Kadosh, 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 Yahweh, uh, Lord of Sabaoth. Uh, they're calling to you. The whole earth is full of your glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold of this whole building are shaking. And the temple is filled with smoke. And what's his response? Woe to me, which is a Hebrew way of saying, I am a goner. And he says, I am ruined. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. He's just aware of his impurity in the presence of perfect purity and I live among a people of unclean lips. We are all goners, this nation, and my eyes have seen the King Yahweh, Lord of army hosts. And so what happens here is you see this in the Bible when someone encounters God, it lays them out. There is a fear factor that lays them out. You see, the third example would be in the New Testament when the apostle John, and remember, the apostle John was Jesus' closest friend. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. The night of their last supper, he's laying his head on his jet, very close friends. Uh, but in the book of Revelation, at the end of John's life, when he's on the island of Patmos and Jesus shows up in this vision to call him to write the book of Revelation, Jesus shows up, eyes on fire, sword coming out of his mouth, and John, who knows him so well, is laid out. In fact, there in your note sheet, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, do not be what? afraid. You know, Jesus never wastes words. Like the reason he says don't be afraid is because why? He is terrified. So what I want you to catch is that if we're going to understand this fear of the Lord, it's a small part of it, but it's an important part that we understand God is God and we're not. And, and there is a terror, at least of disobedience, right? Um, when I was preparing this, uh, this series, one of the commentaries I consulted was a man by the name of Tremper Longman III, who's a very respected Old Testament theologian. And in his book, on uh, talking about the fear of the Lord and understanding what this phrase means, this is what he said, and I put this there on your note sheet. He says, wisdom begins with a relationship with God. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what he says. He says that, that this relationship is characterized by fear, you know, fear of the Lord, means that the sages, the wise men, they understand their place in the universe. While fear is not to be equated with terror, it's probably more than respect. After all, people are totally dependent on Yahweh who created and sustains them. The sages understood this and therefore they trembled in the presence of God. One properly fears Yahweh because he is the most powerful being in the universe. Only fools would not be afraid of a being who has the power of life and death over them. Such persons do not understand their place in the cosmos and thus do not know how to act in the world. All other wisdom builds on this point and there is no wisdom without it. You catch that? It is the first step. He is God. You are not. You report to him. Your destiny lies in his hands. Until we are clear on that, until that causes us to bow the knee and realize we had better get this relationship right. 
we are not on the path of wisdom. And so you see this in Proverbs. For example, in Proverbs 24 there on your note sheet, this father is speaking to his son. He says, fear the Lord, fear Yahweh, and and the king, my son, those two people, and do not join with the rebellious. Like, don't be part of a rebellious against Yahweh or against the king. For those two, they will send sudden destruction upon them, and who knows what calamities they can bring. So he says, son, let me get this straight. As a young man, two people you don't mess with. Don't mess with Yahweh, and don't mess with the king, because they both can ruin your life, okay? And so that's kind of the first step of wisdom. Now, uh, so I said that's the first, the first part of understanding this phrase, but it's not the only part, and it's not the most important part. And catch again, that what I'm not saying is that to fear the Lord means we live in a constant state of fear or nervousness. That's not what the biblical phrase means. And so to understand what it means, we have to go to number two. And this is really the core, the heart and soul of what it means. To fear the Lord means three things. It means to love, to trust, and to follow him. As you study this phrase throughout the Old Testament and the New, but especially the Old Testament, to, to, uh, to fear the Lord means to love, to trust, and to follow him. And it's, it's interesting because as I was studying this, and of course it's not the first time I've studied it, but whenever I go into a new series, it's like kind of start all over, just kind of take a new look. And and as I was studying this, what dawned on me is that when the, when the Old Testament uses the term fear of the Lord, what it's really talking about is what here at Rocky Peak we'd call being a passionate Christ follower. That's really what it means. To fear the Lord means that we, we love him with all of our heart. It means we trust him completely with our life. And it means we follow him because we, we believe in him. That's what it means. And when you see this phrase in the Old Testament, that's really the heart and soul of what it means. And so, for example, let me give you a passage to kind of uh, illustrate this. In Proverbs chapter, I mean, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, there in your note sheet, uh, Deuteronomy 10, uh, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. He's about to die. They're about to go in the promised land. And he wants to tell them, here's what it's going to take to succeed as you go in the promised land. And so he says, and now, O Israel... What does the Lord, Yahweh, what does Yahweh, your God, ask of you? Like, like as you go into the promised land, what's it going to take for you to succeed? What, what's he want from you? And he narrows it down to a single thing. Do you remember, do you remember the, the movie City Slickers? Remember the Billy Crystal? This one thing. You know, you've got to find the one thing. Like, bam, well, what's the one thing? Your finger? Uh, you know, uh, so Moses, like, narrows it down. Let's talk, there's one thing that you need to do to have success in the promised land. And what is that one thing? He says, to fear Yahweh, your God. That's the one thing. But now he goes on to explain what does it look like to fear Yahweh. And you're going to see this, love and trust and follow. And so he says, it's to walk in all his ways. Notice that way language, the path language, way language, path of the righteous. To walk in his ways, to love him. There it is, to love him. Back in Deuteronomy 6, four chapters earlier, very famous passage in Hebrew, we call it the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, you'll love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The way we put it here is he's our first love, he's our deepest passion, he's our highest priority. Okay? That's number, and remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22, of all the laws, that's the number one priority. You know, love God passionately with all we are. 
Okay? And so he says, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to walk in his ways. It means to love him. It means to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your soul. Out of that love flows a life of service to please him. <coughs> and to observe the Lord's commands, to follow. So we're going to love, we're going to trust, we're going to follow the decrees that I'm giving you today. And I'm giving them to you. What's the, were the last three words? For your own good. You catch that? So one of the marks of a person who fears the Lord is they love God passionately, top priority. They trust him completely. And, and then they follow him because they understand that he loves them and his commands are for their good, right? It's the path to life. And so, so that's what it looks like. So let's put this together then. Let's take these two principles, to fear the Lord is to fear the Lord, and to fear the Lord is to love, trust, and follow. Let's put them together. How do you put those things together? What does that look like in real life? Well, I think the best analogy for me is the analogy of a father and a son in a healthy household. Now, now some of you may have not grown up in a healthy father-son, father-daughter relationship, but, but imagine if you've had, or maybe you've known someone, or you can imagine this. But in a healthy household, the son knows, and let's talk especially about younger kids. When, they, when you get to adolescence, all, all bets are off. But, um, but the, the healthy son, uh, I mean, the, the healthy family, that son, that little boy, he, he loves his father, doesn't he? And he trusts him completely, and he follows him. Like, I remember when I was in fifth grade is when I got glasses. Now, I've got really bad eyesight. I got glasses in fifth grade, and so not too many kids have them in fifth grade. You're going to stand out, right? You have just become the class nerd when you get glasses in fifth grade. And, and so, but you know what? I didn't even care because I got glasses just like my dad's glasses, and, and, and I was so excited to be just like my dad. And that's how little boys are, aren't they? And a healthy father, son, that's how they are. Little boys want to be like their, their father. I remember running down the street every morning, we live in San Diego, every morning, like when I was in kindergarten or four years old, when my dad would drive off in his pickup truck to work every morning, I would run as far as I could to keep up with him, right? This is how it is when you're a little boy and you love your father. And so in a healthy, in a healthy family, what is that little boy's experience? His experience is he knows he is loved deeply. He knows he's the father of his, ap uh, the apple of his father's eye. He deeply trusts and follows and wants to be like his dad, right? And that father would do anything for the son. And so what is the emotional experience of that little boy? The emotional experience of that little boy is not fear, it's love. It's being delighted in, it's trusting, it's following, it's wanting, are you with me in this? That's what his emotional experience is. But in that little boy, in a healthy family, he also learns this, that you don't mess with dad, right? In a healthy family, there's both love and discipline. And so that little boy learns early in life that dad loves me like crazy, but don't mess with dad. Now, he's not afraid of dad in the sense of dad just kind of going off someday or being unpredictable or anything like that, but he learns to fear disobedience because he learns that if I disobey a direct order of my father, there will be consequences and they will be painful, not because he doesn't love me, but because he does, you see? In a healthy family, there is a fear of the father. Not, not in a fear sense of like, I'm going through nervous. There's a fear of disobedience that they learn. 
And this, brothers and sisters, this is the relationship that God calls us to as our Father. If you're a Christ follower, you have given your life to Christ, and Jesus died for you. He gave his love for you. You are the apple of your Father's eye. And because of that love, you have been completely forgiven of all crimes against the King, past, present, and future. You have been adopted into his family. He delights in you, and that should be your experience. You should know that your Father deeply loves you and you should live in that love at all times you should know that father's love and if you don't know that father's love it just means that you have good things in front of you that the holy spirit will continue to grow that you are deeply loved you are treasured and there's nothing you could ever do to get him to stop loving you that's who you are but as a believer in jesus you need to know this you don't mess with dad And if you think you can mess with dad and get away with it, you just haven't been a Christian very long, right? Because he has a way of disciplining us, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. And when he does, it is very painful. Can I tell you something in my life? There are a lot of reasons why I follow Jesus. And 99% of the time, it's because I love him and trust him and he is my hero and he is my strength and he is my refuge and he's everything to me. He has transformed my life. He has changed my life. I'll give him everything, right? That's what motivates me. But I tell you something, there are times in my life where I am tempted to do something I know he doesn't want me to do. And can I tell you something? It is the fear of God that keeps me on the right path because I know he will kick my butt. And I have had this happen before, and it's left a deep impression on my life. And I've learned you don't mess with God. Now, do I live in fear of him all the time? No, I live in love. But in those times of temptation, I know you don't mess with dad because he loves me too much to let me get away with that. So, so whether it's my finances, it's my marriage, it's my moral integrity, whatever it is, I just know that if I get off track, that I am going to get a whooping. And I'm telling you, I know that as sure as I'm standing here. And that scares me. That scares me. You see, and so Solomon says, the mark of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? And it's a fear that that is, is a fear that I love and trust and follow him. But it's also, I know that if I don't, that there will be consequences and that scares me. Now, the question then as we start this series is, here's my question for you. Do you fear the Lord in your life? Do, if this is the first step of wisdom, if this is the ABCs, if this is the foundation of everything in your life's success, if this is the gateway into the path of life, it's the most important question I could ask you today is do you fear the Lord? And before you answer, let me tell you how you can tell. Okay? Here's how you can tell. You can tell whether you fear the Lord by what you do when he asks you to do something that you do not want to do or asks you to change an opinion that you don't want to change. That's when you find out. You see, there's a lot of life we're walking on the path to life. We just happen to agree with him. 
And so he says, this is the way you need to walk. We're like, you're so brilliant. You're so great. I love you. We're good. And then all of a sudden he says, you know, the way you're doing your finances, the way you're treating your wife, the way you're handling your sexuality, the way you approach your job at work, that's not the path of life. That's the path of death. And what we do when his will crosses ours tells us whether we fear him or not. Because if we say to him, hey, you know, that's fine, I appreciate the advice, but I got this covered. I'll get back to you, I'll think about it. You know, I'll take it into consideration. But frankly, I think on this one, I'm a little smarter than you. Now, we don't really say that. That's in the fine print. But that's what we're doing, right? That's exactly what we're doing. And so the mark of the wise person is they fear the Lord. The mark of a fool is they despise wisdom and instruction. Now, let me show you this. There in your note sheet, you've got a great passage from chapter 3 of Proverbs. And it goes like this. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. And don't lean not on your own understanding. You know what that means? It means there's going to be times in your life where you come to a decision point and you think the best way is to go left, and God says, no, the best way is to go right. He says, in those moments, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own opinions. That's what it means. And he says, in, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, you're God and I'm not, and then he will make your path straight. Notice path language. The path of the righteous is a straight path because God straightens it out. The path of the wicked in Proverbs is the crooked, full of, full of all kinds of dangers. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord, fear Yahweh, and shun evil. You see that? What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. It, it means to acknowledge him as God that you're not. It means to not be wise in your own eyes. It means to shun evil, you see? That's what it means. And so the question I have for you is, do you fear the Lord? Because here's what's going to happen as we start this series. Here's what's going to happen. Over the next 10 weeks, week after week, we're going to be unpacking the wisdom of the way of life in Proverbs in all these different areas, finances, relationships, sexuality, careers, uh, parenting, on and on. And there's going to be times when you agree, and there's going to be times when you disagree with the Word of God. And, and if you have the fear of the Lord in your life, then what's gonna happen is when you disagree with the word, you are gonna change. And you're gonna get off the path of death and you're gonna on the path to life and life's gonna go better. If you don't fear the Lord that when you disagree, you'll say, thank you very much, I've got this one covered and you'll stay on the path of death. And then you'll be like the wicked who stumble around in darkness not knowing why. And how many times do we do that as believers? I've been following Jesus and things just never work out for me. Yeah, well, do you have the fear of the Lord? And what do you do when God says go right and you wanna go left and everything seems go left is right? What do you do? And my guess is in those situations, if you go left, it's like, yeah, then you're gonna be stumbling in darkness. And you can be a believer, but you're just not experiencing the life he, he has for you. So do you fear the Lord? Will you pray with me? As you bow your heads and we close our eyes, we're going to ask the band to come out. We're going to go into a time of worship right now, kind of prayer and reflection. And uh, we're going to be taking the offering during this time as well. But I just want to ask you that question, do you fear the Lord in your life? What do you do when God says turn right and, 
and you want to turn left. Do you trust him more or do you lean to your own understanding? And we're gonna go into a time of worship and we're gonna reflect first on who God is, this holy one that we've been talking about. And then we're gonna go into a time of surrender, of giving everything to him as, as appropriate, as the creator. So Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that through Christ, we've been made new. Through Christ, we've been adopted in your family. You love us passionately. And we pray, God, that we would learn now to submit our lives and to fear you, to love, trust, and follow, that we could experience the life that you called us to live. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I hope you can be with us next week as we continue this journey. I'm very excited about the message. You know, it's called... Uh, we're going to continue on in chapter 1. I encourage you to finish chapter 1. We won't be going through the whole book like that, but next week we're in chapter 1. And the message is called Choice and Consequence. And the, and the idea that Proverbs is going to paint for us all the way through is that life is real. And that God as a human race has given us true choice and choice that has real consequences, which gives meaning and significance to our lives. But it also means that the choices we make are the choice of life and death in all these different areas. And so... It's so important that we choose wisely. You know, we live in the midst of a culture today that's, why, that's to the large degree, is trying to take out the con- the, a concept of consequence. And as a result, our culture is floundering, right? And so, and so we need to embrace the truth about life, that God has designed life so there is choice and there is consequence. And that's the way it is. And so as Christ follows, we need to embrace that and understand that so we can choose wisely. Amen? Amen. Hey, God bless you. I love you. Have a great uh, fourth tomorrow, whatever you're doing. And then be back here next week as we continue this journey together. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.